Good morning, everyone. Welcome to week 13. This is our 11 o'clock Technology for Teachers class on April the 13th for the sake of our recording. And today we are going to be talking about our unit plan assignment. If you did not grab a compact disc, a CD, plastic, right here, I'm holding it in my hand. If you did not grab one, you can come back and grab one now, or if your neighbor needs one, grab one for them. And uh, go ahead and open that up and put that into your CD tray, your CD-ROM drive. We're going to use those a little bit later in today's class. Please make sure, if you've not already, that you check in with your attendance for today on our website on Poll Everywhere. And we are going to take a look at a video that I actually showed yesterday to a group of 75 Army officers and civilians and enlisted personnel as our, um, as our video share today. Because of a person I met who used to teach for Edmond Public Schools who now works at Fort Sill, I was in a pretty impressive briefing room. This is a, an app I have on my iPhone called 360 Degree Panorama. And so it made this uh, panorama of our briefing room. So up here at the front, they had the times of uh, current, current times in uh, US, Iraq, Korea, Afghanistan. And I think there was maybe one other place, maybe Washington, DC. So this was, a, this was like probably one of the most intimidating groups I've ever presented for. The general sat right here in the middle and I just felt like a fat slob standing in front of these fit warriors who all uh, were, were in much better shape than I was. So anyway, um, well, no, but I, I got a little more incentive to get back to the gym, so that's, that's not a bad thing. Um, this is a video I'm going to share called Army Learning Concept 2015. The U.S. Army is actually looking at not only kinds of technologies that can make their learning better, but also ways in which they can change basic training, ways they change all kinds of service level training. We have been at war now almost a decade continuously. Um, there were folks in our room yesterday who had been deployed three different times, and many of those deployments can last a year. Um, soldiers and leaders have come back saying, look, our recruits, our, our um, you know, new soldiers do not have the skills that they need to be able to um, work on a team to collaborate to do the things that they need and so this is a vision of what the army might look like in 2015 and as you watch this I want you to pick out the ways in which you see technology being used this is a four minute and 20 second video
Assalamu alaikum. Zashem. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam. You say the name. Zashem. Take about 90 seconds. Talk about the technology uses that you saw in that video. Yes. Hang on. Hang on a second. Anybody have a, what, what did you see? What were some of the uses? On the spot review. So just in time, I mean, you're, I was thinking, I hope they got some of that memorized too, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, being able to, what were the, some of the things that they were reviewing? Right, first aid procedures. Okay, what else? Well, a lot of stuff was just like mobile. And you're just talking about how like, you know, training and stuff. I never had any access to my cell phone or iPad or 
Right. Well, and this is part similar to what we're doing. Well, it depends on where you go. Fort Sill actually was just recognized as having a best practice redesigned um, uh, five-day training program. It wasn't part of basic training, but this is what the drill sergeants were there. This is what the, the officers were there talking about. You know, how is it that we are going to be using these and can use these tools? Um, because. Yeah, they have. They they don't have. Everyone doesn't have these devices that the army provides. Interestingly, they said most of their soldiers have smartphones today. Most of them have some kind of Android, iPhone. What else did you see that people doing with their technology and using them? Well, a lot of this too, though, isn't necessarily web-based, right? An app that you download will run off your device. So when you're accessing the web, you have to have a signal. But when you've downloaded the app to your device, yeah. you're offline. So did you catch the language training one? You know, yeah. being able to hear the language, probably in the accent, in the dialect of the local area. Uh, when I went to China the last time in September, I couldn't update my iPhone to the latest version. And they have a great app called Shanghai Taxi. And it not only has in English and, and Mandarin, the locations, and you can show it to your taxi driver, it'll say it out loud, too. And there were other apps that would have common phrases in Mandarin, you know, where is the bathroom? You know, clicking, so just like he was showing, hearing it and, and practicing it in advance and having it right before. Um, you know, one thing I observe about technology, this is so new, we tend to just focus on the technology. Oh my gosh, it's an iPad, wow. Technology is being used the best when it disappears. When you're not noticing <coughs> what the device is or what you know the, the kind of technology is. I, I've, I'm reading a book now. I just got off Amazon and I cited this. By, you think that's Michio Kaku? I don't know how to say his name. This is a book about the future, about 2100, and it's not science fiction because he's a physicist. In fact, he was a co-founder of string field theory, and I could not explain to you well string theory or quantum mechanics right now, but, you know, they're talking about things like the Harry Potter invisibility cloak and how we have discovered the technology now to make that possible, similar to stealth technology that we will have invisibility cloaks. Um, talking about heads-up displays. Have you seen the Terminator? Remember Arnold in the Terminator? Where he had the deal on his eye where he could be able to see things. Up in the upper right corner, that's a photograph of an army soldier in Alaska in November of 2010 with the Land Warrior heads-up display unit. I asked the group yesterday in Fort Sill, if any of you all used this? And two hands went up. And I asked the soldier who had used it, what did that do? Among other things, it provided exact location of where everybody in his unit was. So he was able to have a lot better situational awareness. What Kaku says in his book is we are not maybe going, we are definitely going to the world where the heads-up display will be on our eyeball. It can be a contact lens that we put on or it may be embedded actually inside our bodies where we'll be able to think what we want to see and it'll be there with the internet connected. That will be our screen. Actually, I think I showed uh, this first. Have you seen these uh, glasses for like $200 at Brookstone yeah. or 150 bucks where you put them on it's like you're seeing a 50 inch plasma you know in front of you. So pretty interesting to think about how this technology can be utilized and 
how it, it challenges us more. One of my takeaways from yesterday was, oh my gosh, the lowest level soldier today has got to have a very good skill set of dealing with information, processing multiple sources of um, multiple input streams and, and being able to make decisions under stress. We might have typified the Army at some point as, well, you know, the kids that aren't going to make it in college, the kids that aren't going to, you know, be able to be successful, we'll, we'll send them to the Army. And that still happens uh, in terms of enlistment, but I just really got a sense of how the bar has been raised. Somebody pointed out, you know, anybody is one heartbeat away from, from being a leader in, in situations where they're, you know, deployed to Iraq. One of the uh, colonels was talking about seeing his driver when he was in Afghanistan or in Iraq and all the multitasking that was going on. He was listening to a radio headset. He had a computer thing on, on the dashboard. He was scanning for IEDs and, and for, you know, threats that were out there. And then they were having discussion inside the, the, uh, the Jeep. I mean, a lot of cognitive demands. And so the Army is not only looking at technology, but it's also looking at ways that they can change how they train. You might typify sort of the, the non-thinking training with the drill sergeant as, you know, shut up, private. If you had a good idea, you'd have been issued it. Yes, drill sergeant. You know, you might have heard in the press recently where we had some soldiers uh, post some pretty uh, macabre <coughs> photographs of them with dead bodies. Uh, I don't know if it was in Afghanistan or, or in Iraq. And of course, those went global. And our en enemies, um, terrorist groups, are going to use those for recruitment in order to show, look how horrible the, the great Satan is. Look how terrible they are because they, you know, um, gloat over, over the dead bodies of their victims. Five years ago, that wouldn't have been a factor. But now that we have these devices in our pockets, soldiers have got to be thinking about how they're going to use those tools. And the commanders have to think about them. And, it, and it's a complicated situation. So it's kind of funny because video game developers are currently, that make the shooter games, they're trying to get the HUD off the screen to make it more realistic. And in the meantime, the Army is actually going to put HUD. Well, if you're deploying into the field, you're going to have to have a way to access information live when you have a weapon and when people are shooting you. So I, I, I would think they're going to, just like in the cockpit, I didn't ever get to fly on my own uh, fighters, and so we were flying old 1950 T-37s with old cockpit you know, uh, technology. But the, that idea was to get the HUD on the glass, you know, to get it on the screen so that you wouldn't have to look down, you're looking out and you're seeing your stuff. So um, I think the interplay between game developers and things like military applications is super interesting because, in fact, my homework, have any of you heard of this game, uh, Infinity Blade, for the iPad? Has anybody played World of Warcraft? Anybody know someone who plays World of Warcraft? I asked for hands. How many play World of Warcraft? And only a few hands were raised yesterday, and somebody said later, there's a lot of people that were raising their hands and admitting it. But the level of graphics, the, uh, the immersion within the environment, um, uh, one of the things, and I, won't, I have a link to these slides if you would want to see them. Um, there's this article from Wired in uh, 2006 where he's saying, accidental learning relies on failure. That is one of the best things about simulation. So my homework for everybody was to go talk to someone who's playing World of Warcraft or who's playing one of these graphically intensive simulation games and have them show you what they're doing and what can they do within the game. Because we can sit here and have a lecture about something, 
But if you are in an immersed virtual environment simulating what is happening or what can happen, your opportunity to fail is now exponentially higher than it was when you were actually you know, going out and doing stuff live. So will the virtual replace the face-to-face? -face? No. Is it a powerful way to supplement what we're doing? Absolutely. And for me, it was very energizing and positive to see what the, the Army is doing with their training because they've had the, the leaders come back from Iraq and Afghanistan saying, look, our soldiers don't have these skills that they need. They've done comparative studies of here's a group of five soldiers that have been through traditional basic training, and here's one that went through our um, a revised version where if somebody comes in with weapons knowledge, they might be taught by the drill sergeant and then they become the co-teacher for that particular unit. Or somebody comes in with first aid knowledge. They don't teach 40 hours straight of first aid and then 20 hours straight of marksmanship. Because the real world's not like that. You're doing first aid and you're shooting and you're having to be on the radio. You know, you're doing multiple things. So they're talking about millennial students, how students today multitask. You know, kids are watching something on the screen, they're texting on their phone, they're you know, working on a homework assignment. Interestingly, the research shows that for a task that requires thinking, you can't multitask, okay? Because if you're having to think through something, your brain cannot do both of those at the same time. I can have the radio on in the background and be watching a YouTube video. That's not the same thing as having to write a thesis sentence for my five-paragraph essay. Anyway, that was a that was a pretty interesting experience, and we'll we'll see what else they end up doing. This was my last slide, Arthur C. Clarke. That that's a good quote by Clark, um, that we discover the limits of the possible by venturing a little little beyond them. And then the other quote that I actually started with is uh, th this one by William Gibson: "The future is already here; it's just not very evenly distributed." And I mean that's it, right? This is the future. Everyone having that in your pocket is the future. Right now, though, it's not evenly distributed. Only a few people have them. But that's going to change. So <clears throat> your app share for today is iMovie. Um, I teach fifth grade Sunday school, and so we had a musical at our church this last Sunday. Most of the kids were involved, and I was asking them to use finger puppets and then record short little videos about some of the major themes. We brainstormed the themes, and then they recorded them. You can see in the center here of the, of the, of the page, these are all short little videos, and that three minute and six second one, um, and I won't plug the audio in. This is the combined, maybe, now we're frozen. Um, this is just a combined version of, the, of these videos. Now, I've done these before with my out DV camcorder. I bought it at a pawn shop for like 100 bucks, um, connected to my laptop and used an external cable. This was just the iPad 2. The students that were shooting the video, we had one hold it with both hands, then the other one was the director. They pressed record. They said quiet on the set, got everybody quiet. Um, and then we had the actors and actresses, the puppeteers that were you know, behind the table. The thing that was so amazing about this was oh, no. I hurt my knee. <laughs> in 10 minutes after class, two of my students edited the videos together. And so that's what I want to show you uh, right now real quick. The iMovie app for iPad is a $5 app. Um, somebody had asked me a while back if 
editing on the iPad was a little bit like, or editing on a, a movie on iPhone was like painting on a grain of rice. <laughs> you know, is that like that? So this is the entire um, edited movie that, that they did. The way that it works, um, you say that you're going to do a new movie project. These are all the video clips that I have on the iPad currently. So I can go down and insert these clips and drop them in. And they drop into the project. Again, I've done this kind of thing on different platforms, but being able to do it like this so quickly uh, and in 10 minutes have the edited thing was amazing. So I'm going to hit play here. And I like how I could hit this button and turn the waveform on and off. See how it shows at the bottom where the <coughs> peaks and valleys were and like where the quiet spot. So we really want to start right there where the, where the dialogue begins. The way we do that is we simply click on the clip and I'm going to flick down with my finger along the playhead where it's red. And when I flick down, it just cuts the video and snaps that off. So now I can double click it, gives me choices like delete the clip, and now that's gone. In a lot of these clips, we went ahead and boosted the audio to the top, making that as loud as possible. And so that was the process. And we just went ahead and, and edited the video together. So um, on your links for today for our class, I have put a link to iMovie for iPad. And then where it says example, I've got a link to a blog post that I wrote just kind of tells a little bit of the lessons learned from, from this. Um, here you can see the students. We've got one holding it and then one being the director. On a real practical level, we've done this multiple times now. And I've found it's really helpful to tape yarn down on the sides of where the outside where the camera lens is. Okay, <coughs> That lets the students make sure that their puppets don't go off camera. I know when they're on camera. So that's a, you know kind of a low-tech thing. We did find it was easier to just have the iPad resting down on the table and then you know move it up or just kind of angle it however we wanted to to be able to do that. Um, but it was very amazing to have you know in 10 minutes just with minimal instruction, um, the kids were able to edit this and create it. We published this on our um, class blog that we have. Um, I chose to publish this with Vimeo. Um, we use a free blog on WordPress.com to be able to publish this out so that the students can um, be able to show this to their parents and parents can be able to, to see this if they want. How many of you have used Vimeo before? Has anybody heard of Vimeo or used Vimeo? Anybody? Um, Vimeo is another video sharing site like YouTube. It is, they have free accounts, which is what I have, and they also have paid accounts. Had I told you all the story about the Korean subtitles before? So I have a couple students that speak Korean as a first language, and their English isn't very good. And so we had done uh, this kind of a project before, and they went ahead and recorded in Korean. And I had just uh, tweeted out if anybody um, had students that could translate. And so some uh, students in Shanghai actually <laughs> translated this and left that as a comment on the, on the blog post. And so I was able to add some subtitles, um, which was a very, a very cool thing. So it is free to create a Vimeo channel. And um, it's, a, it's an example of how we can use media. We can create with it. And I, although I love projects that are extensive and just detailed and take tons of time, we don't have 
lots of time during the school year usually to do those kinds of projects, especially in class. So being able to do short little projects, short recording, and have the students make things like this, this is very different than just hearing a lecture. This is very different than even watching a video. Because when you make a video, you gotta make lots of decisions. Yeah, maybe you can spout that Bible verse, but what does that mean? What do you think it means? You know, how does it apply to your life uh, in the context of Sunday school? And whether you're teaching biology, science, math, social studies, getting your kids to explain a concept can sometimes give you a better window into what they know than having them fill out that study guide or answer that, that worksheet. So anyway, that's available for you to, uh, to check out. Any, any comments that you have about um, the, the, the Army YouTube video or the mobile learning or the iPad stuff? Right. Well, right. And I, and I told this story when my dad <clears throat> was the, he was a station at Reese Air Force Base at <clears throat> their uh, pilot training base. The first flight simulators were literally cameras that flew on terrain boards. And I've, I've been in the sim building. And so look up at our ceiling, multiply that by three. So that goes up three stories. The board is a di like a diorama board that actually has relief mountains and it's got rivers and all this stuff. And the first sim was a camera that literally you moved over the board and when you were going up, then it moved far away. And so if you crashed the jet, what did that mean? You literally crashed the camera into the terrain board and damaged the lens and damaged whatever you crashed into. And that was in probably 1978, 1979. Now, you know, everything's obviously digital and <clears throat> Oh yeah, I got, absolutely. I got, you know, I was just at Sasa not too long ago. Have you all ever uh, flown one of those simulators at an air and space museum that have the full motion? Yeah. We went to uh, San Diego for spring break, and the one museum we went to was the was the air and space museum, and I don't know if we took. I don't think we took pictures inside the sim. My daughter and I flew in the sim, and it was it was a lot. This wasn't it. This was just a helicopter, but it was a lot like an IMAX um, experience with a wraparound screen, and the whole thing was moving. So it was it was a it was pretty amazing. Yes. <laughs> Like our last one we done went on was Space Mountain. That was pretty, yeah, that was a little more excitement than we had planned on. Well, and also I know, I know that the military, some of the military buildings do not allow smartphones in, or if they catch you on your smartphone, <coughs> they will Right, and you can't use any USB thumb drives on any military computer. Have you heard of WikiLeaks before? You know what happened there? So I ended up bringing my own laptop and plugging in and, you know, not being able to have a thumb drive, oh my gosh, you know, if my laptop had died, I had my, um, I had my slides on the web and I could have downloaded them. But here was the thing that shocked me. Here's this incredible room, amazing. Who knows how many thousands or millions of dollars did this cost to do? And they did not have any high-speed internet. They had ISDN, which is like 
twice a dial-up or whatever. Now, we video conferenced in a professor from Harvard who talked to us, but still, I mean, there was my, my pocket, my, my 3G wireless that I had on my iPhone, I made a personal hotspot for myself to get online. That was more connectivity than anybody else had in that room. So the military is a lot like schools, very top-down, very hierarchical, very focused on control, and very challenged by technology, you know? Having devices in the hands of kids is actually a harder situation to teach in than a regular class because regular class, you know, we're always, we always have kids who are off task and who are thinking about other things, but it's not always as evident as it is when, you know, oh, look, you've got Facebook up. Oh, look, you've got YouTube up. So teaching in that environment, somebody um, had, did you hear about the article? of the school in Maine that's getting iPads for kindergartners. One of our students brought this out. So, see ya. I don't think that browser's working quite properly. So they're spending $200,000 to get 300 iPads for students. And, um, Again, people will tend to focus on, oh, wow, look at that iPad. You know, what are they going to do with it? Are these students going to be able to record themselves um, reading? Are they going to be able to get assistance developing their phonetic, phonemic, is that how you say that? You know, awareness. Are they going to be able to practice, you know, their math skills? Are they going to be able to problem solve? There, there are all kinds of things that are possible here. And uh, last class, somebody else asked about cases. The best case that I have seen is an Etch-a-Sketch case. Have you seen this? It, act, it literally looks like an Etch-a-Sketch. And I saw somebody in uh, Alabama a couple weeks ago who had this. And, you know, it is a pretty durable, <laughs> you know, plastic hard device. So I don't, who knows how they're going to protect them. Communism doesn't work, in case you didn't know. Um, when you have communally shared resources, people don't tend to take care of those like they do with their own, okay? So if I give you your iPad, and by the way, this is going to be the only one you're going to get this year, you will probably take care of it a lot differently than if I said, here's our cart of iPads, or here's our cart of laptops. Today we're going to talk about our unit plans, and you can assume anything about resources. You make up the school that you're teaching for, and you can, you know, we'll go to the computer lab or we'll check out our, our laptop cart. Um, that's probably a more reasonable scenario for you in a year or two at, at the school you'll go to, is that you'll have a lab that you can take kids to or you'll have a cart of machines. Ultimately, we'll be in a situation where everybody has their own device. And <clears throat> last class, one of the students asked about, I mean, we're going to have so much off-class <coughs> behavior. We're going to have kids doing all kinds of things. It is much easier to run a prison than a really good school. And a lot of times we get confused about that in, in class. And so we need, to, um, we need to cultivate relationships with our students. That's something that I do a poor job of in this class. And I can't just excuse that as, you know, it's college and that's what it is. When I became an elementary teacher, I didn't want to be a secondary teacher because I wanted to have my same kids. I knew I would develop a better relationship with them if I had them all day, and we were still departmentalized. But, you know, how are you going to keep your kids from being on Facebook all, all day? How are you going to keep them from 
you know, doing something off, being, being off task, off task behavior. Part of that is what do you <coughs> ask them to do? You know, we can ask kids to just do worksheets on this. Is that going to be engaging? Probably not as much as asking them to make something, asking them to create something, record something. So, like it or not, this is the world we live in. <coughs> These devices are just going to get cheaper and more powerful. And it's going to become more and more ridiculous for school districts to keep dumping money into textbooks that we, what, get every five years or seven years, maybe, if we're not in a budget crisis. So um, I don't have all the answers to all this. But I do know having students create something is a very different experience than just saying, sit there and, and listen. And having you make your screencast is different than you saying, just watch me do this or watch somebody else do this. So if there's anything that I encourage you to do this whole semester, I hope it's that you will let students create things with technology. I put a link on our page for today about the flip camera getting canned. Did you see this headline this week? They, Cisco has for some reason axed the flip camera. It's the most popular handheld camcorder sold today. This was on April 1st. I think it was an April Fool's joke. But <clears throat> they sold more flip cameras than Sony and Kodak. They sold almost a quarter of all you know, camcorders in the, in the country. If I was going to go buy a, a, cam, a flip or flash-based camera today, I would get a Kodak ZI-8. The reason why is because this camera has an external mic port, and I can put an external mic, which is oftentimes one of the most challenging things, is getting good audio quality. So even though Flip is not going to be selling camcorders, you know, cell phones have this capability, and there's going to be other companies that are going to continue to sell um, these kinds of cameras. When I was in Alabama two weeks ago, I worked with a team of ninth grade teachers. Every single one had a flip camera. Everyone had a digital camera. They had never let their students touch either one of those ever to do anything. They had not used that to record themselves. How many of you doing your screencast were a little uncomfortable listening to yourself? Anybody? Yeah. You want to really sound like that? Oh my gosh. How many of you recorded more than one time? Anybody? Like, do a lot? I was just, like, after the third one, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to get to the You're going to go with it. That's right, yeah. But as you did it multiple times, you probably tweaked it a little bit, and you refined it, and you got better. You became more aware of your teaching. One of the things that our presenter, Tony Wagner, said from Harvard, he's a Harvard professor yesterday, was that as teachers, we should be using these cameras to record ourselves teach. And people are like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to do that. How does any sports player get better? They have a coach, and their coach watches them perform. Their coach looks and sees what they do, and they're able to say, hey, you know, I think if you lined up here on the blocks a little differently, or I think if you, you know, change your technique in this way, you do this way. So we need to be thinking about that as teachers, and we've only, we haven't even hardly begun to scratch the surface. So next week we will be announcing our winners, by the way, of our video. Um, we are postponing that one week, so. I could go on and on, and that would be silly for me to do, because we need to do a Pecha Kucha, um, because we have got Andy, who still needs to do his Pecha Kucha, and then we're going to jump into um, a demo of the screencast. Who has not done their screencast? There's still some people that a demo would be valuable for. I'm going to do a quick screencast recap, and then we'll talk unit plan. And my goal is to stop talking at 1130, 
and give us the last 20 minutes for you to work on your unit plan, uh, work on your screencast, I have the microphones checked out here, or anything else that you need help with or you want to work on, our goal is to have 20 minutes of work time. Okay? So, I did not put this on week 13, but if you just go back to one of our previous weeks where it says Pecha Kucha or PK student presentations, you can click on our evaluation form and you can select Andy's name and we've already got him loaded up here and I think ready to go. What have you heard? The ultimate final Pecha Kucha presentation. I'm bringing this up here, but it's not stalled for time. Okay. And are, do you have your timing set? Allergies are killing me. Um, it should be. Right. It was an open office, but... Look at that. Awesome. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I am. Okay. All right. I chose my topic um, because I'm a history ed major, and I'm not a history ed major because I want to be a team sports coach. Uh, <laughs> I actually like it. Uh, this picture is the ruins of Jericho, which was previously... Uh, before the, this topic comes up, it was uh, one of the oldest buildings on Earth, continually inhabited for 9,000 years. Uh, but recently, you know, when most of our lifetimes on the southern border of Turkey near Syria, um, there's buried under a hill of dirt. Um, archaeologists who saw it, you know, knew immediately that it was man-made, just because of the uh, the surrounding terrain. Uh, and what they found was. Uh, Gobekli Tepe, and you know, my German is terrible, but it means Potbelly Hill. And what it was was a complex, uh, uh, temple complex, and current excavation to the floor is only on one chamber of the four that are so, so far uncovered, and there's 16 more that they've seen um, from geophysical survey under the ground. Uh, stratification indicates millennia of occupation. Uh, the lowest, oldest layers has monoliths like this connected to stone walls dating back to 11,500 years ago. Uh, it's the 10th millennium BC, before the advent of sedentarism. So these are wanderers, hunter-gatherers, uh, constructed and used this. Uh, the walls are made of unworked stone. This kind of blew up a little bit, so, but I mean, these are just stones they found and stacked. There's no masonry. Pillars are up to nine feet tall with a pair of bigger ones in the middle. And there's some evidence to suggest that those supported a roof. There's also, they built on top, on top. There's a second layer and a third layer, but that's the bottom layer I'm talking about. The floors were made of terrazzo, which is a burnt lime uh, with a low bench along the inside of the exterior wall. So it's, it, it's a temple structure. And I'm going to stress this again. It was built before agriculture. Some of the unfinished pillars in the quarry have been found uh, to be over 20 feet tall when they were finished, 25. Uh, the monoliths were decorated with um, carved reliefs of animals and pictograms, uh, similar to the sacred symbols found in uh, like the cave paintings at Lascaux, France from uh, 17,000 years ago. So there's kind of a continuum of the, the symbology used uh, from the Neolithic people. Um, this, I don't know if you can see, but it's like a lizard looking thing. And among them, uh, there's also lions, bulls, boars, foxes, gazelles, uh, donkeys and snakes and other reptiles and especially birds, waterfowl, and vultures. And when this was constructed, the climate there actually supported all this wildlife. It was a much lusher area. Um, it's thought that the uh, emphasis on the vultures might indicate sky burial, like the uh, Zoroastrians in India or the Tibetan Buddhist practice, where you just expose the corpse for the birds to take away. 
So there's kind of a continuum there with the, the type of um, like depth. Uh, the American Survey note, uh, noted the site in 1964, like I said, immediately saw that it was man-made. Uh, this is Klaus Schmidt. He's the German archaeologist in charge of the site. Uh, and since 1995, that's when they've started excavating. Uh, so it's been pretty recent. Uh, when he arrived, the site was under agriculture. People were farming on that hill. Uh, there was no settlement nearby, and maybe not anywhere. So uh, some e evidence suggests a temporary settlement to make use of wild grains in the area, but this is all at a time when Homo sapiens had just become the only hominid. So just within 500 years of construction here, uh, Homo floresiensis was still walking around with us. Um, the reason it was so well preserved is that it was buried. It was deliberately backfilled about 8,000 years ago. Uh, the buildings were covered with dirt and refuse from uh, a settlement somewhere else. So they found like arrowheads and, and contemporary uh, trash midden type stuff among the dirt. And though some really crude domiciles have been lately unearthed there, the purpose is primarily cultic. This was like a death cult, but this, these are hands coming around the side of a pillar here, which is you know human representation. There's not a whole lot of it so far at the site. There's a little bit, but uh, this is a monumental temple complex built before we built cities. Um, up to now, there's no traces of domesticated plants or animals found there. Hunters and gatherers who put up uh, small villages part of the year did this work. And uh, Schmidt, the, the archaeologist, uh, speculates this is the kind of organization uh, also facilitated agriculture. So um, DNA testing of the local contemporary wheat indicates that uh, the origin um, of what grows there now is wild wheat that's from about 20 miles away. So it's very possible that this could be the site of the first modern wheat domestication. It's right here. Um, Schmidt also thinks it's a cultural site. Man, that one got ugly. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, worshiping the cult of the dead, the carved animals there were to protect your ancestors. Um, he, he's speculating that the tombs or graves, which he hadn't found yet, are actually under the floor. Uh, those those Toronto floors, they're still excavating there to try to find them but he's pretty convinced. We do have a realistic representation of human, and it's very possibly the oldest realistic statue of a person on Earth. Uh, and the rock was quarried, keep in mind, with stone chisels, and I mean, with stone picks, and it was worked with stone chisels. So, this is before metallurgy. Um, besides being backfilled, the uh, site shows some evidence of active attempts at smashing the pillars. Uh, may have been a competing religion or maybe a run of bad luck there at the site, but uh, there might be more answers to come because, like I said, only 5% of the entire site has been excavated to date. Um, this is a grinding stone um, from the earliest phase of domesticated grain, the Neolithic Revolution, and uh, the entire complex I'm talking about uh, came before this, before people were doing this, and it, it, it may have been from the exact same place where this advance took place. So um, he thinks the dig, Schmidt thinks the dig could continue for 50 years and barely scratch the surface of this site. Um, it predates pottery, metallurgy, writing, and the wheel. Uh, it reveals an organization previously thought a function of agriculture and animal husbandry. But uh, the things our oldest history, we, we're finding new things to say about it. So if you haven't taken world history or world civ, you can be smart ass on day one. Any questions?
the name of the complex? Yeah, it's it's German because of uh, it means Potbelly Hill. It's Gobekli Tepe. There's an umlaut over the O, but I can't make that noise. So, <laughs> not very reliable. How did you find out about it? Um, random Wikipedia. Honestly, hit that random button sometimes. When I'm really? Bored. Yeah. And mind blown. So. So wait. Yeah. Yes, and in fact, the uh, the farmers that were there farming, they, there were stones that had surfaced, and they just moved them out of the way. You know, some evidence was contaminated or destroyed there, but uh, <coughs> before anybody got there to to take possession of the land and start to excavate. Do you know approximately when people started to, to build towns and cities? I mean, well, Jericho is the oldest that we know of for sure that's continuously inhabited, and that's nine thousand years ago. So this is twenty five hundred years before that. Yeah, so it's it's really it's kind of throwing uh, Neolithic history for a loop. It's do, do we think that China had people at that stage, or was this this was the cradle of all civilization? So far, I mean, this is the the oldest monumental structure we can find anywhere. And like I said, it's it's just really throwing a lot of theories into into question because it was it's assumed that the the organization and specialization came as a function of agriculture and animal husbandry, but then you have hunter-gatherers here that, you know, they're, they're camping nearby maybe to take advantage of wild grains or cereals, and, and yet they're still going to this quarry, you know, nearby and digging out stones and, and building this and carving this stuff. Can you say it was a death cult? No, that's, that's, that's the current uh, interpretation mean? just because of some of the animal representations. <coughs> and. Does that mean they worship death, or it was a cemetery? Well, I mean, death cult kind of in the same way that, you know, you might say Zoroastrians, you know, they, they, they revere the animals the that, that take care of carrion and, and corpses. Oh. It's part of life, and then they've got the, the animals to, he, he, he's presuming, are to uh, guard the corpses from we don't know what. But. <coughs> demonstration using the CD. And so if you want to go ahead and open that up, you can. And we're going to get our unit plan uh, information off of this uh, CD. And I'll just record a quick little screencast about some of uh, the resources that are here. Originally, at one point in a lot of colleges, this CD in an earlier version was this course. This Intel Deep Future, it was technology for teachers. The whole thing was, was here. It has been a pretty Microsoft Office intensive class, but it does have a lot of good resources about other things too, like project-based learning. And
And so uh, I'm going to just do a little screencast to talk about <clears throat> some of the project-based learning resources. So in order to do this, we will open up Screener. And this is the first semester that you've been able to log in on Screener on more than one kind of account. So anybody use Facebook <coughs> to log in or Google or Yahoo or something else? I had originally thought you had to make a Twitter account. And so now they've got other ways to log in. But um, I mentioned it at, when we first talked about screencasting. Remember that there are other programs that allow for screencasting, and one of those is Jing. Jing is free, but you do have to download it and run it on your computer, kind of like we do with Scratch. I think Screener is the easiest way to publish a screencast online. I mean, there's no software to download. Log in and do it. But you might want to consider checking out Jing. Uh, and there's other free options as well. And when your students create them, you don't want to necessarily post everything to the web. So Jing allows you to have that offline. And you know, if you want to, you can publish it to the web, but you don't have to. With Screener, the only way to save it is saving it on the web. So um, I have logged into Screener. And so now what I'm going to do is click the record button. And I need to line up the box that's going to pop up with the window that I want to record. Now, I did get some questions about pop-ups not showing up, and so you may have pop-up blockers blocked in your computer. Um, you can always come into the lab to uh, use the microphones that they've got in 112, and you might you know, try a different browser. Did anybody have trouble with it popping up when you tried it on your computer? I sent you that email. Okay. I, I messed with it forever, and it was so frustrated. And then I, last night, I got it to work. I had to take off the pop-up blocker. The pop-up blocker was it. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Um, the, you know, pop-up blockers, like other things online, they're there to protect us, you know, because sometimes web pages will automatically open the doors. Sometimes they even open them in the background and you don't see them, so they can download stuff. So they're trying to protect you. I was supposed to log in at the This is West Friday. 
Fire, and I just wanted to real briefly show some of the resources related to project-based learning, which are located on our Intel Teach the Future CD. And if we open up the folder called Curriculum Resources, there are a lot of different folders that are in here. The one that we're going to use for our unit portfolio that has the template is called Unit Portfolios. And we're also going to talk today in class about the one called Thinking Skills. Right now, I'm going to go to the one called Project-Based Learning. And inside, we have several different documents. I want to point out first that we have some storyboards. And we can use Microsoft Word to create a brochure for our students, or have our students <coughs> do a brochure. And just like any other kind of project, before the students make it on the computer, they, all, they need to do some planning. So this is a document that you can print out and students could write on. This is going to be a trifold brochure, and it's showing the different areas, and they can make notes and make their plan for what they're going to create. Now, instead of starting out with a blank document when they're creating something and starting from scratch, it's a really good idea to use a template file. And a template file is one that already is partially created. So here inside that curriculum resources PBL, there's one that says pub templates for publication templates. And here's one for the brochure. And when I double click that file that says brochure and it opens, you can see that it already has text boxes and places for a graphic, places for a title. And I can simply double click in there and then add my own title for whatever my brochure is going to be about. And I can resize that. This is a wonderful thing to do because it saves time. It also communicates your expectations for the assignment. And it hopefully allows your students to spend more time with the content of your lesson rather than just figuring out how to make a colored text box in Microsoft Word, which is a good thing to know how to do, but we all have limited amounts of time. So this is called using a template. And I really think that it is a best practice for a lot of technology lessons. There's also templates for creating newspapers and other things as well. So uh, we will be you know, just scratching the surface in our class of these resources. And I want to encourage you to check out other ones that are here as well. All right, click the done button. And now my screencast is ready to be previewed and played. If I want to, I can describe it. I'm going to say uh, template and storyboard resources on the Intel Teach the Future CD. And I'm just going to choose to publish it, not publish and tweet it. I don't want it to automatically go out of my Twitter account. Did anybody have trouble embedding your screencast? Okay, I checked it on this computer and it was weird on the blog on here, but on my computer it was fine. On my Mac it was fine. It worked fine. Did you all have some trouble embedding as well? versions. 
And so after this, this finishes, I'll go ahead and show that to you, and that may be something that you'll want to try when you embed. On your assignment, and by the way, I don't know if I pointed out the checklist last week, but when you click on our assignments, my screen will unfreeze here. When you click our assignments link at the top, um, in addition to all our weeks, we've got our checklist that's here at the top. This tells you for screencasting, you are going to just turn in a blog post link for this assignment. And so your blog post has a link to your assignment, to the screener, the embedded version, and just short reflection. That's just a couple sentences about what you learned in the assignment. There's a couple ways to get your embed code. This is the link right here at the top. Okay? And when I click share, I can copy that same link. This embed code was not working on the WordPress EduBlog that our 9 o'clock class was using. And so what one of the students there found out is that over here where it says get the embed code on the right, there's a link that says the old embed code. This version says this supports iPad, iPhone, Flash, and more. This is called an iframe code. An iframe basically puts a web page inside a web page, and some sites will not allow iframe to be used. And again, they're trying to protect us, just like the pop-up blocker. Some malicious websites will embed another site that'll get put something nasty on your, at this point, Windows computer. And um, that's why they, they've stripped that out. So you might try clicking on old embed code. It's going to be even longer. But this code was working fine uh, on the HTML, you know, when you click HTML. Don't worry about going back if you have an embedded video on all of your past posts. My goal for you in this class is to have successfully embedded some things on some blog posts. Okay, and I want you to try to get this embedded. Um, and this old embed code may work better than the iframe. Yes? Yeah, um, back when you used to use like MySpace or something, if you wanted to edit your profile, you use that kind of new code to add it to like a video or to your profile or your layout. And that's probably because they've got their editors and stuff are, are sort of not trained, but they're coded to recognize iframe and other things and strip it out. So sometimes you have to have an alternative workaround. Okay? So all you really need on your blog post is your uh, link, you know, what you did your screencast about. Remember, your screencast can be about anything that's appropriate. We had somebody today talk, talk about, um, you know, how to, how to post a picture on your profile on Facebook. Somebody did want to have find out about the hockey schedule at UCO. It doesn't have to be something we've done in class, but if you are not sure of your topic, do something about Scratch, you know? How do I add a sprite in Scratch? Or how do I change my background, my stage background in Scratch? Anybody have another question or anything to say about screencasting? Yes, When you embedded it right. from the, in the HTML mode? Well, I don't know what that is, but whenever I tried to do the old embed code, it still didn't. Okay, so um, let me let me log into our blog real quick. And actually, do you want to log in and give it a shot? Practice and you can just do this by um, 
sure that it's working this way for the student view. All right. Okay. So put it in this post there at the top. And what we want to do is, you see there in the corner where it says visual and HTML? Go ahead and scroll down uh, in your post. And then let's copy all that in that code that you <coughs> change the address. Your screencast is capital M, little a, oh yeah, you have it right there. Yeah, just open that up. Wow. So I guess what this shows is it just depends on what blogging tool you're using. Um, I guess it'd be nice if everything worked the same, but Resources page for unit plans. 
have the two places you turn this in, WebCT, and you're also going to turn it in to Passport. Has anyone not created an account on Passport before? All right, there's a few of you. So, good news is the, the college supports Passport, and you are going to want to create your account next door in room 112. They can help you with this. These are the steps, step one, two, and three on how to get all this set up. And this is something you have to subscribe to. This is not my idea. I think, it, I think portfolios are good, but if you're upset about this, uh, the college has the policy for the for e-portfolio the e as part of your program. So you're going, and I can't fix your password for you. I get to approve the things you submit for this class, but I don't get to um, you know, be an administrator on the account. Isn't this what they require for all educators to have and it cost like a certain amount? Yes. But it's only for six months, right? No, you could do two years for like $50. Mm -hmm. However long you need it. Something like that. 
And I want you to use some language from this document that we're going to get out here in a second about the revised Bloom's taxonomy. But let's look at some examples. Inside this folder, if I just back out of this, back to the root of the CD, and in that same folder, curriculum resources, unit portfolio, so the same folder we were in, they have elementary, high school, and middle school examples. So if I open up the elementary folder here, I've got a Cinderella unit, a fractions unit, seasons unit, C to C, you can open up any of those. You will see a bunch of stuff in here. Again, you do not have to create this much. All you have to do is the unit plan. And if I open up unit plan, here's an example of a completed unit. Seasoning the school year unit plan. Again, don't be overwhelmed. Yours does not have to be this extensive. Okay, we've got a week and a half to put this together, and this is part of your portfolio, but this isn't something that has to be incredibly extensive, okay? Um, you can kind of take a look at one of these to see how they put this in. This was set up as a six-day unit. You don't have to do a six-day unit. You do a one-day unit. You know, you might consider doing something on two or three days. You might come in on day one, and you'll present information about the topic, and the students will start brainstorming what they're going to do. Then the next day you go to the computer lab and we will, you know, collect our information or we'll put our, our information together. Maybe you're going to, um, you know, have some websites that they're going to go to and then they're going to create something on day three. You decide what to do. This is all hypothetical, but you can kind of see some examples um, and I would encourage you to take a look at some of those different examples that are here on the CD. Something else that I want to point out in here is that they have student samples. So if I open up, and you can either just watch this or if you want to click along, you can too. In student samples, we've got all these different projects that students have done. Here's a flat Stanley project, and this one just has Word documents. Some of them also have PowerPoints that they put in, so these can actually be units that you could use if you wanted. I'm trying to think of the one that I saw earlier. Monster Swap. This one, it's got a rubric, it has a PowerPoint, so it's already set up here. This shows you an example of a student project. You know, this is what Trevor has done for his project um, for Monster Swap. Okay? This is this is his PowerPoint that he created. Alright, that's an example of student work. It's also nice to be able to see the rubrics. Okay? Here's the student rubric that the teacher used. Okay, it needs to include a description, a comparison, and a conclusion. We're not creating all this for our unit plan. You can reference it. You can say, I'll be using a rubric to evaluate you know, the students, and you can provide some detail, but you don't have to have a separate file with the entire rubric created, like you see here. In addition to those resources, you have some templates. And this is what I explained in the screencast. A template is a partially completed document. So here's an example of a storyboard for a presentation where you're going to ask the students to plan in advance what are you going to talk about on your slides? What is your image going to be? What are your titles and your subtopics? Things like that. Um, <coughs> there's also you know, storyboard, storyboards for brochures. This is the one that I demonstrated. So just be aware that those resources are available. Last thing we're going to talk about is thinking skills. And this would be a good one to open up. So if you want to 
the inside your, your CD on curriculum resources, let's go to the folder called Thinking Skills. One of the most important concepts I think we learn in pre-service teacher education is Bloom's Taxonomy. And surprisingly, the version in this PowerPoint that's on your CD is the old version. Here on this page, I have gone ahead and put an image of the new version of Bloom's Taxonomy. How many of you have had some discussion about Bloom's Taxonomy in other classes before? Okay. It's the easiest thing to measure is the stuff that's low, right? The, the things that are at the knowledge and comprehension level. Um, and so that's what's on standardized tests. It is much harder to measure the higher order thinking, but it's also very important too. And when this was re revised in 2001, all those words were changed into verbs, action verbs, and creation was put at the top. Now in this PowerPoint, they've got words that go with each level. These words are good to use in your unit plan. If you're gonna have kids working at the knowledge level, have them identify, have them define, have them outline, have them describe. You can use these words in your unit plan, and they go through all the different levels. Now, this is okay, this PowerPoint, but I like even better another file in here, and it's at the bottom, it's a word file, it's called Revised Bloom's Taxonomy. The PowerPoint is still with the old version. This one is the new version. And I really like it because it's a simple table that's set out with each level, and these are vocabulary words. For your unit plan, you need to have students get to the creation level. <coughs> so these can be words that you might use for that. Design a game which illustrates the water cycle in Scratch. Um, you know, obviously the word create, you know, talks about creating a symbol, you know. Using the Lincoln Logs in our, in, or using the Legos, that uh, we have in our room, um, assemble a model showing the different parts of the cell and how they function and put that picture on our class wall. You know, that, that could be a, an assignment that uses technology. Remember, you get to make the assumptions about what you have. If you want to assume your kids have laptops, fine. If you want to assume you have a class blog, fine. Um, this is hypothetical, but you are the one deciding, you know, what is it that we're going to, to be doing for, for the lesson. So I just think this is a good tool to have in your toolbox. I'm not going to grade your assignment. Oh, look, you only use three of the words from the, you know, revised Bloom's taxonomy. That, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to look to see if you're creating a student product. And you will need to create lesson plans, although probably not this extensive as a classroom teacher. So I think this is a, is a good resource to be able to have. Yes?
be imaginative, try to be realistic, you know, and you you use Scratch, you realize what it takes. I mean, it'll depend if the kids have had any experience with Scratch. If you want to assume this is the end of the year, we've already done several projects with Scratch, make any assumptions that you want, but you don't have to actually create anything else for this assignment besides filling in this one word file. This is it. Essentially, most things that are in italics are places where you're going to be typing in stuff. Yeah. And then this coaches you pretty well, too, right? I mean, it's, it's saying try to have an essential question for your unit, okay? That's going to be a broad question. How does the water cycle work? You know, how does nature recycle? That could be an overarching question. And there can be some specific things that go into that. This is where you'll put your past standards here. Don't get out of control. There's over 3,000 to choose from. You know, I don't think you need more than 10. I would just, I mean, if you do three, that's fine. <clears throat> you, you can also cross content areas, right? If you're having them write on their blog about their science inquiry, then, you know, you're covering some language arts along with your science standards. I'm not going to be grading you that you've comprehensively listed every standard possible for this. I, you know, we need to be exposed to our past standards. We need to know what they are, where they are, and, become, and be familiar with them. We'll get more familiar with them, you know, as we teach. And so you're going to put some of those in here. Okay. You don't have to create the assessment. No. Right. You don't have to create the rubric. You don't have to create the assessment. You just have to describe it in here. Students will create a project in Scratch, which will be assessed with the rubric. They will be asked to, and you can have some details as far as what it's going to look like. I mean, think, I want you to be thinking about those kind of guidelines, right? It's always better to have, well, it's generally better to have some structure for your projects rather than just leaving it open. Some people will love it and fly when they're open-ended, and other people will just freak out and, oh my gosh, nowhere to start. So I think it's usually good to have some structure, but you also want to leave choice and, and freedom in there to choose because that increases engagement and you know makes it more interesting for students too. Okay. Any other questions that anybody has about the unit plan? Okay, so are we absolutely required for our grades? No, I don't give you a grade for passport. That's just for your teacher education program. Okay. And I've got a, I'll get an email that says you have an artifact waiting to approve and I'll look at it and approve. Okay. So it's like, that's that's how that works. It doesn't affect your grade for the class. Okay. But like I said, it's, it's to your advantage, if you can, to get it submitted now. I'm, right. you know, I don't think I'm going anywhere. I'm staying here in Oklahoma, but I am an adjunct. And so, you know, the worst case scenario is, I'm not teaching for UCO anymore, and you have to call me on the phone and say, Wes, I've you know, submitted the passport, and you haven't replied to my email. Well, that's because I'm not checking my UCO email. <laughs> and then, you know, or the college may have a provision for that, too. They may have a way that the adjunct isn't teaching that semester that you submit it to somebody else. Because everyone does the same thing, There's the same assignment. Right. And, and this same unit plan is 
in all the classes. Okay, I don't know if any of the classes talk about screencasting. Now we have to, I have to choose stuff, but this is one of the things that everybody does the same. Next week we're talking about smart boards. That's in everybody's class. For I mean, it's up to you. Do, do what you need to do as far as the passport stuff, but it does not affect your grade. The passport okay. stuff is required for the teacher ed program here at UCO. Okay. It's not required for this class. So everything that we put in the passport, we have to have approved by our professor at the time. Yes, they have given different artifacts to different courses, and so your instructor for that course, as I understand it, is the one that approves the submission. Now, if you look on our assignments page, um, we basically flip-flop smart board and unit plan, so we're here on the 13th. Um, next Friday, I want you to turn in your unit plan in WebCT. It's gonna just be attached in WebCT to turn it in. Next week, we'll talk about smart board, and you will have a short um, smart board assignment that we'll make in smart notebook, and you'll turn it in. It's not gonna be extensive. We are not gonna have blog posts for this week or for next week. In fact, I'll have to look. We may not have any more blog posts that we're doing you know, past the, the screencast assignment. <clears throat> Next week I'll have a list of things that'll be on the final. It's just gonna be a multiple choice final. I'm not intending to get anybody with this and make this exceptionally difficult. Um, and just like I've, I have a checklist here to say, here's what we had to have for quizzes, I'll do the same thing for our final to, you know, outline out what, what's gonna be on there. There's gonna be some stuff about copyright. There'll be some questions about there'll be some questions about different videos that we've, we've watched and things that we've done in class. But we're really just about finished. I mean, if you look at the syllabus, there are two more assignments that we have to do, which are the screencast and the assignment for smart board. And those are the last two things besides the final we have to do. I don't know why that's not coming up. Any other questions about the unit plan? I was just wanting to say for those of you who are transferring, just hang on to the teacher evaluated copy of your artifact and you can always scan it later for whatever university you go to. Therefore, however, they, they have a portfolio for that. And not everybody. And, and if they'll take it. You know, yeah. I mean, people are different. Yeah, I think they college a bit college about it, but just hang on to hard copy or
Turn in the file. Like I don't have my fun drive with me, so um, you can email can I just go file. home and just work on it? You can, or you can use the time here for YouTube. It's whatever you want to okay, do. Because once I start on it, there's no way of saving it. You can email it to Okay, a couple questions that came up. If you didn't bring a flash drive today, you can email this to yourself. So if you want to go ahead and get started and type some stuff, email it to yourself, and you can have that and you know continue to work on it later. If you have no idea what topic you're going to pick, you might consider you know, looking at language arts standards. Because with language arts, you could do some kind of an, uh, some kind of an assignment that's going to have to do with writing, and then you have a technology product that's going to go with that. Um, so, you know, try to pick the grade level that you think you'll teach in the content area, but this is hypothetical. Nobody's going to come back and say, wait a minute, you're not teaching, you know, kindergarten writing. So that's okay? This is hypothetical. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing high school history and sure. it would be a lot easier to come up with an elementary. If you want, I mean, probably it's helpful to do something that will tie in with what you're doing. But it's up to you. Yeah. If you're high, I'm not going to be checking your certification yeah. classification. What are you supposed to do? Yeah. You know, I'm just we're just going to look. And... Okay. So the rest of the time is yours. If you need a quiz reset in WebCT, or you have some question about something that's specific to your situation, and not for me to talk about in front of everybody, we've got 20 minutes. Um, the microphones are here. Come grab a mic if you need to record a screencast. And let me know if I can answer something.